0: Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesday's Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom and as the great Notorious B.I.G. once said we are going back to Cali because Ohio State is going to be playing in the Rose Bowl to finish off its 2021 season against Utah. Not a big surprise there as we ultimately found out for sure on Sunday and Griffin I have mixed feelings about this game. I think a lot of people have mixed feelings about this game because on one hand, it's the Rose bowl. It's the quote granddaddy of them all. It's a game that at one time, this was the game that Ohio state wanted to play. in. if you talk to Ohio state players from the you know sixties and seventies, they dreamed of playing in the Rose bowl. This was the game that Ohio state aspired to. And, There's still a lot of historic prestige and tradition that surrounds this game. And I think because of that, the Rose Bowl still matters to a lot of people, especially people who have been following Ohio State football and and college football for a long time. But I think the question that I still have going into this game is how much is this game actually going to matter to Ohio State? Because. We know what this team's aspiration was. This team wanted to go to the college ball playoff. This team wanted to compete for a national championship. And, and this is not bad. The Rose Bowl is not a college football playoff semifinal game this year. And so it's still a big bowl game. It's still one of the premier bowl games in college football. And it's certainly better than going to the Gator Bowl, for example, as people remember from the 2011 Ohio State football season. But it's not a college football playoff game. And because of that, it still has that consolation prize feel to it.
1: It definitely does. And Dan, you will be going back to Cali. The Buckeyes will be going back to Cali. For me in particular, this will be my first time ever being in Cali and specifically the Rose Bowl as well, which is obviously a big bucket list item for anyone obviously covering college football or any college football fans as well. So that makes it exciting for me in particular. But of course, yeah, the actual game itself and the stakes involved is somewhat more inconsequential than... Obviously, the Buckeyes have played in a bowl game in recent years. It's akin to the 2018 game against Washington, obviously, the Rose Bowl. But again, for Ohio State, it's like that year, Ohio State at least beat Michigan and won the Big Ten championship game. And this year, neither of those things are actually true for Ohio State. So it's like what is really on the line for this Ohio State team. But at the same time, no one wants to finish the season on back-to-back losses, especially coming off of the Michigan loss.
0: Yeah, the Rose Bowl Stadium is absolutely beautiful. 2018 was my first time out there. I mean, especially when the sun's setting later in the game and you're just looking out of a press box, you see the mountains in the background. It's a majestic scene. So I am excited to go back out there again. I'm excited. I get to see my former Real Pod Wednesday's co-host, Colin Haas Hill, who, as many of you may remember, lives out in L.A. now. So I'm excited for a reunion with him at some point during the Rose Bowl trip. Definitely looking forward to getting back out there to Southern California, but You know, to your point about 2018, I feel like even that game, maybe it's revisionist history, but I feel like even that game, there was a different feel to it than there is this year. I think some of that had to do with that being Urban Meyer's final game and everyone wanted to send him out the right way. But I think a lot of it had to do with what you said about they still beat Michigan that year. They still beat Big Ten Championship game that year. So People were still disappointed that Ohio State didn't make the college football playoff that year. At the same time, much like this year, I think even to a greater extent that year, people knew Ohio State did not have a championship caliber defense that season. And so it feels different this year. I think that year, like because they finished the season strong and I mean, they didn't just beat Michigan that year. They dominated Michigan as an underdog that year. That was a that's a epic game in Ohio State history. Ohio State they went into that Rose Bowl with some positive momentum and people were starting to look forward to the future of Ryan Day. And, you know, I don't, I felt like there was still a pretty positive vibe around that game. I don't feel that right now. I mean, I feel right now, like with the Ohio State fan base. And again, I think some of it's probably, to some extent, I think it's a matter of, age or how long you've been following college football, whatnot. I, I think people who have been following Ohio State football for a long time and remember when the Rose Bowl was the pinnacle of the season, if you were a Big Ten or Pac-12 team, I think to them, this means more than people who have just started college, started following college football in the CFP or the BCS era where going to that national championship game is everything. And so I... I It does have more to me, even in 2018, it has more of a consolation prize feel to where, you know, this game, some people just aren't going to be excited about it. And I think no matter what happens in Pasadena, you know, there's undeniably a, a cloud that hangs over this program right now based on the fact that Ohio State lost to Michigan. And that lost to Michigan, kept Ohio State out of a Big Ten Championship game. And that lost to Michigan, kept Ohio State out of a college ball playoff. And no matter what happens in this Rose Bowl, that cloud's still going to be there. Part of that cloud is going to be there until you play Michigan next year and have a chance to beat Michigan again. I mean, that's just the way it goes when the rivalry game is that important, when V game is such a big thing for Ohio State football. That's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. There is going to be a cloud of some negativity over this program for a while because of that loss. And I think that's just reality. But I think if you can go to the Rose Bowl and you can win and you can finish your season on a high note, then some sunlight starts to break through that cloud. If you lose the Rose Bowl and you go into the offseason on back-to-back losses, that cloud gets even darker. So I still think this game matters. I still think getting a win in this game matters for Ohio State because I think at the least you can finish your season on a high note. You can get some positivity back and give yourself some better momentum going into the offseason. I still think. Because of that, and obviously the, the, the fact of you know sending out the seniors the right way, we don't know if everybody's going to play in the game. You know, I talked to Garrett Wilson on Monday night, and he said he hadn't decided yet whether he was going to play. I'm sure there are some other guys who are considering the possibility of opt-outs as well, but for everybody who does play, particularly the seniors and anyone else who's going to be leaving the team after that game, they're going to want to finish their Ohio State careers of a win, and certainly even those who are coming back are going to want to finish with a win too.
1: Well, Dan, when C.J. Stroud was accepting his Big Ten awards on Big Ten Network the other day, he did a little interview with those guys. And he said, you know, the Rose Bowl is not the game we want to be playing in. And to your point earlier, imagine if the Ohio State quarterback of the 1960s or something was saying, that would sound absolutely ludicrous to be saying that the Rose Bowl was not where you want to be at the end of the season. But that that is the case because of the new postseason structure in college football. But, but like you said, I, I think... If Ohio State really comes out and has a dominant performance against Utah, that could go a long way, I think, over this offseason of showing the the Buckeye fans and the nation that some of those huge performances against the likes of Michigan State and whatnot were not just a flash in the pan and and that this team, on its best day, still could be a potential national championship team. Whereas if they end up losing the game or something like that or have an unimpressive performance to close out the season, it'll kind of cast more doubts on the program and the whole season they had in general and moving forward, what they can do next year.
0: I am like, I feel like I shouldn't even bring this up right now, but I think it's probably a thought that's already crept into some Ohio State fans' minds that, you know, it's not that unrealistic a scenario to think about that Ohio State could lose to Utah in a Rose Bowl and could lose to Notre Dame in a season opener next year and lose three games in a row. So... I'm not predicting that's going to happen, but and I mean, you can win the Rose Bowl, and if you lose that season opener to the former Ohio State linebacker who most people wanted to be Ohio State's new defensive coordinator, there's still going to be a dark cloud over the program after that, no matter what happens in the Rose Bowl. But the point is, there is a potential for things to from this season to next season to, to have a bad run there. And so I think... Getting a win here in this final game of the year at least takes away some of that. And again, gives you some momentum going into next year where you are going to start the season right off the bat with a tough test, a game that is losable. So I I think to finish this season off with a win, I, I think is important for Ohio State. The question is, how important is it going to be to the players. Because I mean, I mean, as you acknowledge it, I mean CJ Stroud said he said it, he was asked about it. He said, I'm excited about it. I think CJ Stroud does care about playing in the Rose Bowl because he's a Southern California native, but it's still not the game he wants to be playing in. I mean, Garrett Wilson said the same thing when I talked to him. He said, you know, we're really excited about it, but it's not the game that we want to be in. I think as we talk to players over the next few weeks, that's probably a refrain that we're gonna hear a lot. And I think sometimes as sports writers, I think sometimes we put a little too much stock into the idea of motivation and who wants it more because both teams always want to win. Like, that's not really what typically decides a football game is who wants it more. Like, even... When people are talking about the Michigan-Ohio State game, I've seen a lot of people say, well, Michigan wanted it more. It came more. I I promise you, Ohio State wanted to win that game. I promise you, Ohio State did not want to lose that game because they know how much that game means. So I think Michigan might have played harder. I think Michigan definitely had a better game plan, but I think both teams really wanted to win. I don't think... Ohio State lost that game because it didn't care enough about winning. I think Ohio State maybe wasn't as prepared as it needed to be. I think Ohio State maybe didn't play as tough and physically as it needed to, but I don't think it's a matter of desire to win. With that being said, I do think that non-playoff bowl games are unique in the sense of, I do think motivation can play a bigger factor in those games than they do in a regular season game. Because opt-outs are a thing, we have seen that be a thing. I mean, I think that's gonna. When I think about making a prediction on this game in three weeks, whether everybody plays in this game for Ohio State or whether numerous players opt out, it could absolutely determine who I pick to win this game. Because I'm pretty confident Utah is gonna be up for this game. I'm pretty confident Utah is gonna be fired up for this game. Utah has never played in a Rose Bowl before. Utah has never won the Pac-12 championship before this year. And I think the most importantly, I'm sure Utah dreamed of playing in a college ball playoff, but Utah probably didn't expect to play in a college ball playoff. I'm sure they wanted to. I'm not, again, I'm not saying they don't want to, but I don't know that Utah as a team or that Utah fans came into this season thinking we're going to be playing in a college ball playoff. Certainly when they started out the year of a couple early losses, nobody was thinking about the college ball playoff. For them to get to where they are now, where they are playing in the Rose Bowl and they have a chance to finish off the season with a win over a top 10 Ohio State team, I think Utah is going to be really fired up for that game. I think Utah is really going to be motivated going into that game. I don't know if Ohio State's going to have that same motivation. And if you look at non-playoff bowl games over the past decade or two, there are a lot of examples of more talented blue blood kind of teams losing to teams they probably shouldn't lose to where you could easily make the argument of that, you know, less talented, less prestigious program cared more, wanted it more than the other team. And so when it comes to this game in particular, I do think that's real. I do think that's real because I think Utah is going to be working really hard and focused primarily over the next few weeks on how do we beat Ohio State? How do we win this game? How do we get our first ever Rose Bowl win? Is Ohio State going to care the same way? Or are they going to be thinking about how do we get better for next year? I, I think all of those are valid questions. And I do think how much Ohio State, from the players all the way up to the coaching staff, how much Ohio State really cares about winning this game, could determine whether Ohio State actually does win this win this game,
1: and it's not a perfect analogy, but one of those kind of games that you're uh, alluding to a little bit was last year's Cotton Bowl with uh, Florida and Oklahoma because, of course, a lot of opt outs for Florida that completely changed the complexion of that matchup. I think, and Oklahoma ended up winning it fifty-five to twenty in dominant fashion. That just goes to show how opt outs and who's actually going to be playing in a game and the, and the mentality that a team's taking into that bowl game, a non-playoff one, can impact things. But you talk about, you know, Utah's. Possibility of winning the game, and some fans—if you haven't watched Utah all year—and you're thinking three-loss Utah. I mean, come on! Like Ohio State's got to be able to roll a team like that. But the thing is, coming off the heels of that Michigan game, I think one of the reasons why people are a little bit concerned, maybe, about this matchup for for Ohio State is the fact that Utah does several of the same things that Michigan did well, and we won't get too deep into the weeds here with breaking that down because we've got a lot of time to do so coming up before the uh, New Year's Day game. However, Utah is a very strong running, running team on offense, and they stop the run very well as well and have a very stout defense. So those are just a couple of reasons why this could be a very good game, actually, on paper when you start breaking it down.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good test for you know Ryan Day talking about on Sunday how we need to get better at running the ball and we need to get better at stopping the run. I think this is going to be another test of that because, like you said, Utah— Currently ranks third in the country in rushing yards per attempt. They also have a strong run defense. They're, I think they're fifth in the country in sacks. So this is another one of those teams, much like Michigan, that wins games by dominating the trenches. And I I do I think it's an interesting matchup. I really do. I think when you look at the matchup immediately, I think, you know, a lot of Ohio State fans look at it and go, oh, Utah. Like that's, you know, that that's not interesting. But I think from a football standpoint, I think it actually is an interesting matchup. I I, I totally get why for a lot of Ohio State fans, this maybe isn't all that interesting for the sense that it doesn't have the stakes of a college ball playoff game. But I think from a football perspective, if you assume that Ohio State is going to do everything it can to try to win this game, I, I think... It, it is interesting in the sense of, again, I think Utah presents a challenging matchup. I mean, this is a Utah team that blew out Oregon twice, and Oregon beat Ohio State. So this is a real test. This is a game that I could tell you right now, very truthfully, I do not know who I'm going to pick to win this game. That's a decision I'm going to make over the next three weeks as we kind of see, again, is Ohio State going to have its full roster? You know, what are maybe the things that I hearing from both teams, you know, maybe watch a little bit more Utah football here over the next few weeks and kind of get a sense of who they are as team. But I do not know who I'm going to pick this win this game. I think it is a game that can absolutely go either way. And, and I think Utah is a, a good football team. I think they're a kind of football team that is set up to give Ohio State problems. And I think that if, if Ohio, you know, when Ohio State talks about, you know, we have to be better in the trench, we have to be better in the line of scrimmage. I, I think this is another opportunity, put up or shut up, because, you know, you know, I mean, I asked Ryan Day about it on Sunday, I asked him about, you know, whether he felt he needed to change his philosophy at all, regarding, you know, putting more emphasis on winning the line of scrimmage, and he basically indicated, well, we we already do that, which maybe they do, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that they don't, but they have to prove it. They, they have to prove it in big games, because I think right now there's an undeniable perception about Ohio State that this is a team that's built to win on speed and skill. It's not a team that's built to win in a physical, tough, in-the-trenches football game. So, you know, the weather's probably going to be a little better in Pasadena than it was playing in the cold and snow up in Michigan, but Utah's going to play its game, and Utah's game is going to be to try to wear Ohio State down in the trenches and to try to control the game at the line of scrimmage. And so Ohio State's going to have to be prepared for that if it's going to win this game.
1: Dan, there's a couple players that we do already know, though, will not be at the Rose Bowl with Ohio State. Most notably, perhaps, is, of course, Quinn Ewers, who entered the transfer portal on Friday, I believe it was. Obviously, the number one overall recruit who reclassified to Ohio State, joined the team, obviously in in August, I believe it was, took two snaps at the end of the season. People thought maybe he could have a chance, maybe next year to factor into things. Who knows? But we will never find out because Quinn Uris is now transferred out of the program. Dan, how much does that shock you? Because I think a lot of us thought that there were transfers coming in that quarterback room without a doubt. But does the timing of it The fact that he was only there for a few months, what about that is surprising to you and just how shocking was it? Look at this guy stepping up his
0: segue game over here, getting him there with the the clean pivot from Rose Bowl conversation into Quinn Ewer's conversation. But yeah, it's one of those where it's like you look at it on paper and like it should be shocking. We're talking about the number one overall prospect in – basically in two recruiting classes, because he was the number one prospect in the 2022 class. He became the number one prospect in the 2021 class when he reclassified the most hyped quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And this guy was on Ohio State's campus four mo- less than four months. He never threw a single pass in an Ohio State game, and he's already gone. So like on the surface... That's a shocking thing. Like, that's like, what the heck happened here? After following it for the last four months, you know, my, my reaction when I saw it was kind of like, well, like, you know I mean? I mean, I didn't expect it to happen this soon. I thought that Quinn would at least stick around for the spring and compete with Kyle McCord for the backup job. And then maybe at that point, if he was behind... McCord, that he might look to transfer out at that point, I thought he'd at least give it a full year. But obviously, you know, he decided he wanted to go somewhere where he'd have a chance to get on the field and start next year. And that's just the reality of college football in 2021. I mean, we knew the one thing we knew all along was Ohio State had four quarterbacks on its roster this year all four of those quarterbacks were not going to be back. I think we probably both felt like three was the best case scenario. Two was a very real possibility. And that possibility came uh, to fruition a little quicker than I expected to have both Jack Miller and Quinn Ewers leave the team within a week of the Michigan loss. But that's just the reality of a situation. I mean, Ryan Day knew when he went into the situation that this was a possibility that these guys want to play. I mean, you're talking about four guys who are all highly touted quarterback recruits. None of those guys want to spend their entire career sitting on the bench. Now, you know, you know, you can, you know, make the argument, well, you know, could he have been a little bit more patient? Sure, but, you know, as I did, I'll say this. I don't fault Quinn for doing what's best for him. I think from Ohio State's perspective, you know, I think if you gave Ryan Day a, tr- a truth serum and, you know, he, he told you exactly his thoughts on this situation, I, I think the reality, first of all, would be Ohio State did not want Quinn Ewers to reclassify. They did not want that to ever be a thing. And I think that's pretty clear from the way things played out that, uh, oh, oh, that was not something Ohio State was lobbying for. They, they did not want him to come early. Their hand was forced on that because Quinn decided he was going to do that. And if Ohio State had said no, he would have gone somewhere else where he could do it. And so I think, you know, I think Ohio State and Ryan Day knew there was a chance that this was, the thing that this was the way things could play out from the time they brought him onto campus. But when you're the number one overall recruit in the country, you have the kind of leverage to tell them what you want to do. And you're not going to turn that guy away. You're not going to tell Quinn no, you do it our way or or go somewhere else. It's it's hard to do that with a guy who's the number one overall prospect in the country. And so I I think it was pretty obvious from the beginning that things never quite meshed here. I mean, just based on the fact that, again, he didn't get any playing time. I mean, you know, Ryan Day was pretty honest early on that Quinn was having a hard time with the transition and he wasn't ready to play in games. He never lost his black stripe, so... (laughs) I think it's pretty clear that things never quite meshed here, and so I don't think we should be shocked that it ended this way. I'm surprised that it ended so soon, but I, I think the reality is Quinn wants to start next year, and he wasn't going to start at Ohio State. And I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that we can just get this out of the way now, to be honest, because. To be honest, I was not looking forward to the entire offseason of getting asked by listeners of his podcast whether there was a chance Quinn Ewers was going to start next year because it wasn't going to happen. C.J. Stroud is going to New York this week as a Heisman Trophy finalist. C.J. Stroud is the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. Barring injury, C.J. Stroud is going to be Ohio State's starting quarterback next season. And that's just that. There's not going to be an open competition for the quarterback job this spring and summer. It's gonna be CJ Stroud's job. And so Quinn Ewers knew if he stuck around, he was gonna to have to wait until 2023, his third year on in college, for a chance to compete for the starting job. And then even then, it was not gonna be guaranteed. Because, you know, Kyle McCord, you know, I think I want we want you to talk about him a little bit too, because I've seen a, a segment of a fan base that's suddenly down on Kyle McCord because you know, he didn't play great in some of the appearances and games where he came in and played with a second team offense. But let's remember that Kyle McCord's a true freshman this year. Let's remember that the one time Kyle McCord started this year, he won Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Let's remember that Kyle McCord was also a five-star recruit, that Kyle McCord is the third highest rated quarterback Ohio State has ever signed out of high school behind only Quinn Ewers and Terrell Pryor. So Kyle McCord is very talented. He still has a lot of potential. I think Ohio State coaches really like what they've seen from Kyle McCord on the practice field and his work habits in his first year. And so I don't think it was a given in any way that Quinn Ewers was going to beat out Kyle McCord for the number two job next year. I'm not just I'm not just saying that as revisionist history or to defend Ohio State here. Because to be clear, this is a loss for Ohio State. I don't want I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to spin it in a way that it's not. <laughs> you had the number one overall recruit on your campus, and he's never going to play a meaningful snap for you, and he's going to go play somewhere else. I'm not in any way trying to say that that's not a loss for Ohio State. And I, the reality is if he goes to Texas or Texas Tech or wherever he goes and he becomes the next Joe Burrow, that's not going to be forgotten. It's not going to be forgotten by the nation. It's not going to be forgotten by Ohio State fans that this guy who could have been Ohio State's quarterback went and became the superstar he was projected to be somewhere else. So all of that is real, but. I also look at the situation and say, well, I understand why Quinn did what he did. And I don't really know what Ryan Day could have done differently. Like I've seen a lot of fans, you know, say, well, man, I mean, how does Day let him go? Well, this is the new world of college football. Players can transfer freely to another school without having to sit out a year. You know, Ohio State doesn't have to support a waiver or anything like that. He's... Quinn's allowed to go transfer somewhere else now and play next year. That's just the way it goes. So it's not like Ohio State has to sign off on him transferring. It's just the way it goes. And so, you know, sure, maybe, oh, maybe if, you know, they had let Quinn play a little more in the second half of games, maybe he'd be happier. I I don't really think so. I mean, I think he just wants to start next year. And I, I don't think there's really anything Ohio State could have done to change that other than actually making him a starter, which again, they're not going to do after C.J. Stroud has had a Heisman finalist Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year season. So I think it's it's definitely a loss for Ohio State. It's definitely one that will be remembered if Quinn Ewers goes on to have great success somewhere else. But I think it's just kind of one of those things that was going to be hard to avoid from Ohio State's perspective.
1: Quinn has really become the, the physical manifestation of, of the new world of college football, like we're talking about, right? Because of the NIL stuff. And we won't get you know, too deep into that, but that has to be some type of factor, right? The name image and likeness that we already heard about the, the seven figure deals he was signing before ever taking a snap at Ohio, before even coming to Ohio state. And now there've been rumblings about where there are stipulations about from his NIL deals that he, he needs to start sooner. I'm sure that there'll be more NIL opportunities there would be if he was actually starting somewhere. So that has to factor in some capacity. Also the the one-time transfer rule as well. It's just like Quinn Yours is like the face of all these new changes that I'm sure many coaches probably don't actually like. And, and just seeing how it kind of burned Ohio State, you know, Brian Day's probably not loving some of these new changes right now. It's kind of overwhelming for him probably. But also it's, it's interesting just how much Drama Quinn Ewers has been able to 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 generate from and not even like speaking in front of a microphone at any point. You know, like we haven't actually heard directly from Quinn Ewers in all of this. I'm sure we'll get to not us, but somebody will get to at some point to hear from Quinn Ewers on on his side of things and what happened at Ohio State. Maybe we had obviously heard lots of rumblings that he had been homesick. I mean, players we're, were talking about that C.J. Stroud said that Quinn Ewers was homesick during this, early in the season, and we had heard you know could could Quinn Ewers transfer. It did happen for Ohio State, and like you said, the the biggest fear, I think, for Ohio State fans is you look at what Jamison Williams did this year for Alabama. Obviously, Joe Burrow winning the Heisman. Is that going to happen again where Ohio State fans are lamenting the loss of an amazing player after seeing what they do somewhere else? It's definitely possible, but as you say, Ohio State still has some of the most talented quarterback prospects they've ever signed coming down the pipeline And Kyle McCord, like you said, he was only a true freshman this year. We didn't even have a chance to see what C.J. Stroud looked like passing the ball as a true freshman himself. You'll remember. And look what he became in his second year. So Kyle McCord, you know, if he ends up starting a couple of years from now, he could look like a completely different player in the system.
0: That somebody who hears from Quinn Ewers will probably be Pete Famel of Yahoo Sports. Because to his credit, he has been on top of his story from the beginning. He was the one who broke the news that Quinn would be reclassifying. He was the one who broke the news that Quinn would be entering the transfer portal. So credit to Pete for being out in front of his story. But yeah, you're absolutely right about, you know, this being kind of the, him being kind of the face of how college football has changed. There was a report from Jeff Ketchum from the Texas beat on Tuesday. He, he, He tweeted, quote, word on the street is that first round draft pick level NIL money is on the table for Quinn Ewers if he chooses Texas as his transfer destination. I don't know exactly what that means, but it, it speaks to your point of there are other thing, factors at play here for Quinniores, and I think that's absolutely a big reason why he chose to transfer so soon is, yeah, he has more earning power if he goes somewhere else and he's a starter and he's the face of another college football program than if he's sitting on a bench at Ohio State, and that's just the reality. You know, we've talked about it in in the forum, it might've been me and Colin, I would've talked about it if it's back way back when this whole NIL stuff came up, but there, there's pros and cons of NIL for Ohio state. There's no doubt about that. Ohio state is absolutely benefiting from NIL in many ways, because it has one of the biggest brands of a sport. I mean, we've already seen tons of Ohio state players uh, get commercials, including one that aired during the big 10 championship game on Saturday night that featured Travion Henderson and Dewan Jones and seven banks. But also Quinn Ewers, which was pretty funny, the, the timing of that to see that on TV just about 24 hours after he decided to transfer from Ohio State. But the point is there's a lot of great opportunities that Ohio State, can't keep, I, I don't want to say they can offer because they're not actually able to directly offer, but that Ohio State benefits from because there's so many people who are invested in Ohio State football that there's a lot of opportunities that come players' way when they choose to become Ohio State football players. And that's something Ohio State will continue to use to its advantage. But the flip side of that is I do think it's going to make players less patient to to wait their turn because if you go somewhere else and you become a star somewhere else – you're going to have a lot more NIL earning power than if you're sitting on the bench somewhere. And so I do think that was certainly, I mean, it's, it's been a factor of his whole thing. If it wasn't for NIL money, Quinn would have never reclassified in the first place. One thing I have thought about with that though is, I don't know the answer to this, but if Quinn hadn't, let's say Quinn hadn't reclassified, would this have necessarily turned out any differently? Because, I think Quinn could have potentially seen what CJ Stroud did this year, realized he wasn't going to have the chance to compete for the starting job next year, and there's still a good chance he would have flipped to Texas or somewhere else before signing day next week. So, obviously, the reclassification did not work out in Ohio State's favor, but I'm not entirely sure that things would have necessarily turned out differently if Quineo was – hadn't reclassified. And I think, I mean, I think there would have been more reason for him to consider coming to Ohio state in the sense that, okay, he'd only be in his second year of college eligibility if he came next year. But I still think, I think there's a pretty good chance that if he hadn't reclassified, he would have still ended up flipping somewhere else where he'd have a chance to go compete for a starting job as a freshman rather than signing with Ohio state next week and coming in to back up CJ Stroud for at least one year.
1: Oh, I totally agree with that. And I think some fans are probably looking at Ohio State and it's not just yours and Miller, as we just mentioned there. Craig Young, also another guy in the transfer portal for Ohio State. Fans might be looking at that and saying, wow, like why is Ohio State losing so many players going to the transfer portal? And honestly, you look around the country and that's really just kind of par for the course and, and the norm right now in college football. It's not unique to Ohio State to see guys in the transfer portal right now. It's happening all over the place. And and so I, I don't really see it as, some larger problem. I mean, maybe you could look at certain position groups in particular for Ohio State, and we'll talk about this more and how they handled the the transfer portal on the other end and how maybe bringing a guy in to a position room might have caused a couple of, or been a factor certainly in in some other guys transferring out during the season. If you're looking at a Dallas Canton, a Kayvon Pope, for example, but I don't think there's necessarily a specific issue with Ohio State with losing guys to the transfer portal because it's become so commonplace because of the one-time transfer rule and everything else like that.
0: Yeah, I saw this tweet yesterday. It may have even changed by the time uh, we're talking about it, but it was a tweet from Rivals. It said, With Wake Forest, both ha- Wake Forest and Oklahoma State both having a scholarship player enter the portal in the last few minutes, the only two remaining Power 5 schools that still have none are Georgia and Texas Tech. So, Literally every school is losing players to the transfer portal, so I, I completely agree with you. that I think if you're if you think there's some cultural issue within the Ohio State football program or things are going bad right now because free players have entered the portal in the last week, I think that's an overreaction. I mean, I think that's just the reality of college football right now. I mean, I mean, last I heard, and it's probably ballooned since then. I think there were someone like twenty six hundred players in the transfer portal or something. I mean, it's an absurd number of players in the portal. And so that's just the reality of college football. I mean, you know, I've praised Ryan Day in the past for his ability to limit attrition within the Ohio State football program. And I, you know, we're going to see what happens here over next month. I mean, I, I think there probably will be more transfers after the Rose Bowl, but I, I do think Ryan Day has done a legitimately good job of le- limiting attrition in the past. But I think the days of you know, never losing anybody to a transfer portal. is I think those are over. I think every single program is going to get hit with this every single year. And it's just something that you have to deal with, you know? And I think, again, I mean, I think in all three of these cases, like none of them are particular. I mean, Jack Miller was not surprising at all to me. And I think that one was pretty obvious. Like he had been beaten out by Kyle McCord. He was going to go into his third year of college football, not starting and not having a clear path to a starting job. So I think Transferring was an obvious move for him. Craig Young's a guy who, you know, we had talked about before the season. We thought he might be the starter at Bullet. Ronnie Hickman ends up locking that job down. Court Williams has also looked very promising in limited action there. And Craig they never really found a consistent role. We saw in the last couple games of a the year, they started using him more as kind of that hybrid linebacker safety from that cover safety spot. But it felt like, throughout his career at Ohio State, they just never quite found the right role for him. And so I don't blame him, especially with uncertainty about what the defensive coaching staff will look like for deciding, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else and, you know, probably have a chance to play a bigger role on another defense. So, you know, I don't think any of those are shocking. Again, I think there probably will be more. I don't necessarily anticipate a Mass exodus, but I just think it's the reality of college football now that guys aren't gonna be overly patient waiting their turn if they think they can go start somewhere else.
1: And Ryan Day talked about Ohio State's philosophy regarding the transfer portal at Tuesday's press conference, and or what, whatever day that was. And it's kind of interesting, Dan, because we've Sunday, yeah, yeah. The days are running together at this point. It's been a, a long season, but. It's interesting, Dan, because a program like Clemson has taken some heat before for, for not being open to bringing in some of these top-level transfers through the transfer portal. When we've seen a program like Alabama use it so effectively with bringing in guys like Jamison Williams, Henry Toe this past offseason. And Ohio State was in the running for guys like that this past offseason and, and obviously brought in uh, Pallier Niateyote at linebacker. But I think the way that specific situation played out might have changed a little bit of the way Ohio State's thinking about doing things moving forward because Ryan Day kind of said on Sunday that they're going to be careful about trying to not bring in too many transfer guys, and we're seeing already seeing that play out because Eli Ricks, the cornerback from LSU, who entered the transfer portal, that was a guy that a lot of fans were excited, oh, maybe Ohio State can land him because Ohio State's going to have some cornerbacks leaving this offseason, but reports today from 247 Sports are saying that Ohio State is actually not, they they, they no longer are interested in in potentially bringing him in. And that kind of points to the potential shift in the coaching staff's mindset when it comes to the transfer portal of not wanting to upset the team chemistry because we saw EA came into that linebacker room and a couple of guys transferred mid-season from Ohio State. And I don't think Ryan Day liked how that situation played out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I I don't know that I necessarily would pin it on EA or him causing a problem per se. I don't know if it's necessarily that specific, but I do think Ryan Day has said all along they're going to be cautious about how they use the transfer portal. And it's such a fine line to walk. It really is because I think what he said is real, that when you bring guys in from the portal, it, it is going to potentially upset team chemistry. And so one thing he has said consistently is that we're only going to bring in guys if we really feel like they're a fit for our program. And to me, I think Ryan Day has earned the benefit of a doubt in his judgment of picking transfer because, yeah, EA, I mean, you can, I mean, he was injured a lot again this year, I think. You know, the reality is he's had a lot of issues of injuries over the course of his career. That was also a weird situation in terms of clearing out, clearing up things for him academically before the season. You know, the expectation is he'll be back next year. And so we'll see next year if he can earn a bigger role on Ohio State's defense and become, you know, a worthwhile addition to the team. But if you look at all the other transfers Ryan Day has brought in, I mean, Justin Fields, Jonah Jackson, Trey Sermon, Noah Ruggles. I mean, he's. I mean, I, I could think there are also a couple quarterbacks. You know, Chris Chuganov, Gunnar Hoke. But I think if you're talking about guys who he brought in with the idea of a goal of them coming in and playing major roles for the team, I mean, he's batting eight hundred. So I, I give him the the benefit of the doubt on knowing what's best for his football team when it comes to bringing in transfers. I mean, I know I saw a lot of the discourse out there on Twitter on Tuesday morning, a lot of people who were questioning Ryan Day's judgment on this, you know, and I don't know. I mean, maybe they've been told that one of their veteran cornerbacks who was going to be gone, maybe they've been told he's coming back. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know what the indications are is that he did feel that bringing in Eli Ricks was going to upset the team chemistry in that room, that that players were going to hit the transfer portal. If they brought in Eli Ricks and, they decided that was not worth it. And again, I mean, you know, it'll be an easy decision to second guess. If Eli Ricks goes to USC or Alabama and he's an elite cornerback next year, it'll absolutely be second guessed and, and fairly so. But I I do think that Ryan days earned the benefit of a doubt with how he's utilized the transfer portal so far. And you know, I think he's going to understand his, the dynamics of his team better than we can on the outside. And I don't think you, you want to just bring in transfer after transfer just because there's a good player out there. I think if there's a guy who's out there who you think is a clear upgrade over the guys you have at a certain position, then you should go do it, but you don't want to just, you know, bring in transfer after transfer Cause, cause I even look at, Like the NFL, like I look at the Los Angeles Rams, for example, I I know they just beat the Jaguars on Sunday, but I think before that they had lost like three or four games in a row after adding Odell Beckham and Von Miller. And everyone's talking about them being a dream team. Like this isn't fantasy football. Like it's not always just about go out and get the highest rated guy and your team's automatically going to get better. Like there's a lot of different dynamics at play that you have to balance here. And it's harder than it's harder than ever to do that because you have transfer portal. Now you have, you know, guys can transfer and play immediately. You have NIL now you have so many more factors at play than there were even a few years ago. And it just makes it more challenging than ever to manage your roster. All right. So you're probably wondering why we're 45 minutes into this podcast. And haven't talked about Jim Knowles yet. Well, full disclosure, we had actually finished recording the podcast and literally like a minute after we finished recording this, we got word from our colleague that word was starting to leak that Ohio State was about to hire Jim Knowles as Oklahoma State's State's former defensive coordinator going to be joining Ohio State as defensive coordinator. And so we had initially at this point in the show had recorded a segment talking about how Ryan Day had said they were going to wait until after recruiting in the bowl game to make changes to their coaching staff. But clearly that timeline was sped up on Tuesday as Ryan Day announced that he has offered the job of defensive coordinator to Jim Knowles And Jim Knowles has accepted the job. And my initial thoughts on that, we're only going to really be able to get rapid thoughts in on this week. But my initial thoughts is it's a home run hire for Ohio State because actually in in our slow a week or so ago, when Jim Knowles was named as a Broyles Award finalist, I made the comment that Ohio State should make a big offer to Jim Knowles. And I I didn't know at the time that Ohio State was going to do that, but it just felt like the obvious move because... Here's a guy who's at Oklahoma State. Ohio State certainly has the resources to offer him more money than he was making at Oklahoma State. And you look at Oklahoma State's stats on defense this year. This is a defense that's third in yards allowed per game, fourth in yards allowed per play, eighth in points allowed per game, first in sacks, first in tackles for loss, second in opposing down, opposing third down percentage, which was, maybe Ohio state's biggest weakness on defense this year. So you look at what he did at Oklahoma state with far less talent than he's now going to inherit at Ohio state. I, I think this is a home run higher. And I think this is exactly what Ohio state needed exactly the kind of guy that Ohio state needed to be looking for in a defensive coordinator, because we we've talked about it with his current staff, you know, with, with Kerry Combs being the defensive coordinator They brought in somebody who had no experience as a coordinator, and that clearly showed. I think this time around, Ryan Day really needed to go find somebody out there with a proven track record of coordinating successful defenses, and in Jim Knowles, that's exactly what he's done.
1: Yeah, they don't call you Dan Stradamus for nothing, Dan. Let me just put that out there. That nickname is really proving to be uh, pretty accurate here because you did put that in our work slack the other day, and it has come to fruition now just days later. And we we just talked about how we didn't actually believe that Ryan Day wasn't looking into a defensive coordinator when he said that on Sunday. And our inclination there proved to be very true. And let me just say, you were just talking there about how Oklahoma Knowles did not have the talent, the same level of talent that he'll have access to at Ohio State at Oklahoma State. Let me just say in 2017, the year before Knowles took over at Oklahoma State, their defensive rankings, they were 79th in total defense, 85th in scoring defense, 116th in pass defense, and 38, 38th against the run in the country. So, so compare those with the, with, with the rankings that Dan just said, and that's a crazy turnaround for Oklahoma State in just a few years under Knowles. So that's proof right there that he can turn a defense around. Ohio State's rankings this year on a lot of, in a lot of areas have definitely left something to be desired. Now, though, the question becomes – what happens moving forward with guys like Kerry Combs, who is a great recruiter, honestly. And I'm sure Ohio State would love to have him for recruiting purposes. I don't think either of us probably think that Kerry Combs is necessarily going to stick around. Well, I guess I don't know what your thoughts are on that subject anymore, but that is going to be an interesting storyline to see what happens with the Matt Barnes's, the Kerry Combses of the world here in the next, uh, over the next month here.
0: Yeah, the truth is, as we record here on Tuesday evening, I don't know. I don't know who is going to be leaving the staff to open up this spot for Jim Knowles. There's a chance that by the time uh, this is published on Wednesday that news will break on that front. I don't know. It's just the reality of the way these things go. Sometimes they can happen really fast. But as of now, we do not know who Jim Knowles is going to be replacing on the staff. Ryan Day has said that Ohio State is going to keep its current staff in place through the Rose Bowl and that Jim Knowles will take over on January 2nd. And so obviously, Ohio State is going to have to communicate with recruits about the changes that are going to be made. I'm I'm sure there's already a plan in place. I'm sure there are decisions that have already been made internally about what the staff is going to look like around Jim Knowles, whether there will be any additional hires on that side of a ball to join Knowles. I, I don't know that yet either, but you know, I think there's various possibilities. Again, I think, is it possible? Combs stays on in a reduced capacity. It's certainly possible. You know, I think there's the questions of, you know, will Al Washington be back there's been speculation that Larry Johnson could potentially retire. You know, one thing that's interesting about Jim Knowles, he has, experience working as a defensive line coach. He has experience working as a linebacker's coach. And he has experience working as a safeties coach. So he's worked at all three levels of the defense. So they don't necessarily it's not like there's a one person who has to go now that Jim Knowles is here. I think they have options in terms of how they want to construct that staff around Jim Knowles. I think you know the questions are first of all, you know, if a guy like a Kerry Combs is he going to be willing to accept a reduced role And then secondly, you know, they have to just ask the questions of, okay, like for each of these position groups, like have have the linebackers been good enough under Al Washington? Has the secondary been good enough under Kerry Combs? I mean, they have to ask those questions and decide who they want to retain. We know that they have to move on from somebody, but I think they have options here. I don't think hiring Jim Knowles, unless for some reason Jim Knowles doesn't want to work with someone specific on the staff, I don't think hiring Jim Knowles boxes them into a corner of where they have to necessarily, you know, get rid of someone specific. I mean, shoot, they could even, if an offensive coach leaves, they could even retain everybody and and have a more even balance with an extra defensive coach and and one less offensive coach since they've been imbalanced on that side of things. And so I think there's a lot of options here. Gonna be really fascinating to see how it plays out over the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, and then the last thing I'll say is just that, you know, I think this is good for – Ohio State fans are going to be happy with this because the, the issue was addressed early on. It It, didn't, it wasn't go, a process that was after, into January in Ohio State, oh, you know, what's next with the defensive coordinator position. Now Ohio State has a plan moving forward, it seems, at least with the, with the D.C. position. They, they know what's coming next, and it won't be this big mystery hanging over Ohio State necessarily moving forward for months and months. A couple of things from Buckeye Beast about the run game for Ohio State next season. And Buckeye Beast has a, a projection of what they believe the offensive line to be next year. Dan, I'd like to, to get your take on that and also question after that. But, but first, they say that they think the death charted offensive line is going to be Paris Johnson, Matthew Jones, Luke Whippler Donovan Jackson, and Dewan Jones going from left to right there on the offensive line. Dan, does that sound like a projected uh, lineup for for you that you could see happening for Ohio State.
0: That's exactly what I would predict.
1: And then between having more guys playing in their natural positions along the line, of course, that lineup would, would no longer see a guy like Thayer Munford playing from in guard from in Paris Johnson, also moving back to his natural position from playing guard this past year. The possibility of Travion Henderson bulking up a little Buckeye beast likes Ohio state's chances to run the ball between the tackles drastically better next season do you also agree with that sentiment, Dan, or, or do you have any reasons to believe otherwise?
0: I mean, I think it's going to be a point of emphasis. I think it's certainly something that Ohio State's going to work on a lot this offseason because obviously in the biggest games of the year, they struggled to do that. And so I think there's definitely going to be an emphasis placed on – uh, running the ball more and, and you know, being more physical in the inside running game next year. And, you know, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, if there's any staff changes or, you know, if there's any schematic changes, do they maybe do some different things than we've typically seen in a running game to try to be better in that area next year? So I think there will be certainly Steps taken this offseason to try to improve in that area. I think, you know, we might have a better sense of, you know, how much better they're actually going to be in that area when we get closer to it. But I think certainly that's going to be a goal. All
1: right. Apollo's Euro asks the question that all of us want to know we're all at the edge of our seats wondering what uniforms is Ohio State going to wear in the Rose Bowl?
0: Andrew Lynn says they're going to wear the, or the home scarlet uniforms. He's typically on top of these things. So I, I will assume that he's correct.
1: That is certainly the man to go to for all uniform-based information when it comes to Ohio State. But yeah, they don't really do anything crazy with the uniforms typically for for bowl games that I can remember. Yeah, they usually have like a patch,
0: a a Rose Bowl patch. I mean, obviously for the college ball playoff games, they've done the gray stripes. I'm not sure if they do those for the bowl games. But yeah, as far as I know, it's not going to be, you know, they're not going to be wearing black uniforms or color rush or anything crazy. They're going to be wearing their typical home uniforms.
1: Yeah, I kind of like that they don't get they don't get too crazy when it comes to uniforms in some of these big games here at the end of the season. But Dan, let's talk basketball a little bit because there have been some big wins for the Ohio State basketball program as well in recent weeks here. We did not get to talk about the Duke win last week because we obviously recorded on the same day before that game actually happened. But Ohio State knocked off the number one team in the country and you were actually there for that game, Dan. Your first game of the season, the fans stormed the court at the shot. I've never seen that before, I don't think. And it was quite the scene. What did you make of that huge win for Chris Holman and company?
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to start going to more basketball games, aren't I? I mean, that was a good first one to go to of the year. Yeah, heck of a comeback effort by Ohio State. And I remember... uh, Talking to my dad the next day, and he told me he went to bed at halftime because <laughs> he didn't think there was any chance Ohio State was going to come back and win that game. And a, a phenomenal performance, I think, holding Duke to 23 points in the second half, if I remember correctly, finishing the game on, what was it, a 12-0 run, I think. So, yeah, a phenomenal win for Ohio State. And, you know, Zed Key had a, of a game of his life in that game, putting up 20 points for the Buckeyes, Cedric Russell coming off the bench, and he had only three points before that game. I believe he had 12 points against Duke, picking the perfect time for a breakout game to lead Ohio State to a win over the number one team in the country. And so, you know, that obviously a great win. You know, I think the fans starve on the court, like, I was sitting next to Bill Landis, and I think he made the point to me about they were letting off a little frustration there because that was just a few days after the Michigan loss and everybody feeling so down. I think that was a a great moment for Ohio State fans to have something to celebrate again. And yeah, I've never seen the shot so raucous for a postgame celebration. It was like the eighth inning of a Red Sox game. They're singing Sweet Caroline out there after the win. They... I've never seen it like that. And it was a great environment at a shot. You know, I mean, I, I'm sorry to break it to Chris Holtman. I really don't think the environment for tonight's game against Towson at 9 p.m. is going to be anything like that. But it was cool to see just how into it that the fans were, hopefully for some bigger home games later in the season, maybe this weekend against Wisconsin. We'll see a similar environment inside the shot with fans, you know, really being into that, into the games and being excited about this team because there's definitely reasons to be excited right now. And it's weird to say, but I'm almost as encouraged by Ohio State going to Penn State on Sunday and taking care of business in that game the way it should have as I am the win over Duke because Chris Holtman's teams have a pattern to them. They really do. Like I went into that Duke game feeling like Ohio state had a chance to win because we've seen them get those big upset wins before. We've also seen them have those letdowns in those games that they really should win before. So to avoid that and and go get a good win at Penn state, I think was another good step for this team. I still wonder, like we've seen it before where Ohio State looks great in December and then they have that slump in January. And so we'll see, can they avoid that inevitable rough patch this year? But I think right now there's a lot of things to feel good about with what we've seen about Ohio State basketball, certainly over the past week.
1: Yeah, the Buckeyes had fallen out of the rankings for a couple weeks there, but after those two straight wins over Duke and Penn State, the Buckeyes are back at number 21 in the AP poll, which I think they definitely deserve to be. They're definitely building some steam right now. I think one of the biggest positive signs for the team right now is that EJ Liddell is no longer having to shoot the ball like 19 times a game for Ohio State to squeak out a one-point victory over an Akron or something like that. Suddenly we've got guys like Kyle Young just scored 16 points his career season high against Penn State. Obviously, the game before that, it was Zed Key having a career high, 20 points against Duke. Malachi Branham just had a season high. Cedric Russell, obviously, in the Duke game as well. Jamari Wheeler looked great against Penn State on both sides of the floor. So you're starting to see some of that depth really come alive for Ohio State right now because they have such a deep roster with guys that are experienced players that are all looking for a role. And we are kind of wondering before the season, like, how is that all going to play out? And they've still got key guys injured, obviously, Justice Suing is still out with an abdominal injury. Seth Towns is still yet to make his season debut. Eugene Brown's been out with a concussion as of late. So those guys aren't even playing, but Ohio State still looks deeper than a lot of the teams have been playing recently. I think they had nine guys score against Penn State. So those are all very promising signs for Ohio State moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we knew going into this year, EJ Liddell was the clear-cut number one player on this team. He was going to be the star of this team, but they can't put it all on his shoulders. And we did see that early in the year, but at times it felt like, you know, EJ just had to carry this team and he still does to some extent. I mean, we saw one point in the second half of the Penn State game where he was on the bench with foul trouble. And while he was, Penn State came back into the game. So there's no doubt he is the go-to player on this team. They're going to go as EJ goes, but especially as they get into the heart of Big Ten play, they can't be solely relying on EJ. They, they need other guys to step up. And I think it's probably going to be a lot like what we've seen in the last couple of games, where I don't know, think it's going to necessarily be one guy every game. I think it's going to be different guys. And they have a lot of different guys to do that. You know, I think, you know, I think Zed Key might be the second best player on his team right now. I think he's playing a really good basketball. But, you know, we saw Kyle Young step up in a big way. You know, we've seen Jamari Wheeler start to show some more on offense. You know, Michi and Malachi are two young guys that, you know, I think they could continue to get better and better as the year goes. They're still so young, so inexperienced, but we've seen flashes from both of them. I think Justin Arns is what he is. I think there's going to be nights where Justin Arns is hot and he scores, uh, hits a bunch of free pointers. There's going to be nights where maybe he's cold and you don't get a lot out of him, but you know, he's a guy that can always uh, go off and give you a spark. And then, you know, Cedric Russell, we saw him against Duke have that breakout game. I think that was a really encouraging sign because early in the year, you're starting to wonder, man, like he he's not really factoring in at all. Are they going to get much of anything out of him? But now it seems like he's getting more comfortable and they feel more comfortable playing him a lot. So I think you've got a lot of different options of guys that can step up. It's just, I think, you're still at a point now where you're going to go into every game and you're going to wonder, okay, we know EJ is going to be productive, but who else is going to step up tonight? Because, you know, it's, Chris Altman has made it clear he thought Justice Suing was going to be that guy. He thought Justice Suing was going to be their number two scorer this year. And he said Monday on the radio that Suing's still going to be out for, quote, weeks. So it's still going to be a while before he's back in the rotation. And they, they need – Other guys, it doesn't have to be the same guys, but one or two other guys on any given night has got to step up, has got to be able to have those double-digit scoring kind of nights if Ohio State's going to consistently beat the good teams that it's going to continue to be playing throughout Big Ten play.
1: And I will say I, I do not blame your dad for being asleep at halftime of that Duke game. I think C.J. Stroud himself actually said that he fell asleep at halftime of that game too. That's because it tipped off at 9.30 at night. The Wednesday game against Towson is going to be another 9 p.m. tip-off for Ohio State. Some late games here at this stage of the season. Chris Holman actually referred to those tip-off times as insane on the radio on Monday. I can't say I disagree with him there, but we will be there covering the games nonetheless, and the, the Wisconsin game should be a good one on Saturday, I believe, at noon at the shot. So that one's a little bit earlier of a tip time. That one should be more feasible for people to watch the entire thing.
0: You will be there for the I'm not going to lie. I I actually won't be at either of them because I will be in New York covering uh, the Heisman ceremony this weekend with CJ Stroud. So I'll, I'll be there for that. Colin, of course, or Griffin. I still mix it up sometimes. Griffin will be covering the basketball team here in Columbus. And we will see how things go for the basketball team as Uh, We continue through December, but next week is signing day. So we will talk some on next week's show about the new class of Buckeyes who will be coming in to join Ohio State in 2022. And most likely the way things are going right now, there's going to be some other news. I foreshadowed that last week. I didn't know what news was coming, but I was right if there was news coming, so most likely, there will be some other news for us to discuss on next week's show as well. So, we hope you will join us then on Real Pod Wednesdays. Until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.